The words that I'd like to direct your attention to this afternoon are found in the book of Deuteronomy. And we'll be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 30. In particular, we'll look at verses 1 through 10. Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 10. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where Yahweh your God has banished you, and you return to Yahweh your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then Yahweh your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where Yahweh your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there Yahweh your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. Yahweh your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. Yahweh your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall again obey Yahweh and observe all his commandments, which I command you today. Then Yahweh your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For Yahweh will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey Yahweh your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to Yahweh your God with all your heart and soul. Again, please pray with me. Lord, we want to live out this revelation that you gave to Israel and that we as Gentiles who have been grafted into the new covenant through the blood of Christ, Lord, we, we want to fully enjoy what you promise here in regard to repentance. Deepen our understanding of what it means to repent and uh, inflame our souls with a greater passion to repent in every area of our life so that we would truly worship you. For you are worthy of such worship. For from you and through you and to you are all things. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. After losing the uh, 1961 Super Bowl to the Philadelphia Eagles, the Green Bay Packers football team arrived for training camp eager to refine their skills so that they would be ready to take on the next season and hopefully win the Super Bowl this time. And the first words that they heard from their head coach, Vince Lombardi, were these. Gentlemen, this is a football. And from there, Lombardi broke down the fundamentals of the game of football. Because he understood in order to get uh, his elite football players to be even more elite, they needed to go back to the basics. They were actually missing fundamental aspects of the game that needed to be reviewed. 
And some of you might be wondering, I'm sure many of you actually are wondering, why is it that I've chosen to spend a 12-part series on regeneration and worship? Is it because I assume that the majority of the church is not regenerate? Well, no more than Vince Lombardi assumed that the, any of the Green Bay Packers were not actual football players. The issue isn't that I doubt people's regeneration, their being born again, but I recognize the reality that in order for us to be the church that God has called us to be, we need to go back to some of the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian. Because the reality is, many of our understandings about what it means to be a Christian are more uh, uh, informed by the world or our American culture rather than what actually the Bible says. And as you, because as you read the Old Testament, the New Testament, you see how uh, God has called us to live. And then you add to that examples of men and women from church history. You begin to see a big gap of what the church used to look like and what it looks like today. Or even just compare American Christianity with some of the uh, churches in other parts of the world. And so my goal in this series is really just to provide a framework for the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian. Namely, that, that what it means to be a Christian is that we are born again. A miracle has taken place in our hearts, not just intellectual belief, but we have experienced a miracle accomplished by the Holy Spirit in order to truly worship God. We have been born again to truly worship. And worship being not just saying things, not just doing things differently, but true worship is living out Deuteronomy 6, to love the Lord our God with all our soul, all our mind, all of our strength. We have been born again in order to truly worship God. That's what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean just going to church. It doesn't mean just giving up drinking or drugs or your uh, adulterous mistress. It means worshiping God with all you are. And, and so that's why so far in the series we've looked at our created purpose. We looked at Revelation 4 where it explains that we are created to worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we looked at the need for regeneration. The reason we don't worship God like we were created to is because of sin in the garden. All of us struggle with this desire. Instead of worship, to worship God, but to worship ourselves, as it explains in Romans 1. And so God has promised to change our hearts through regeneration, which we looked at in John 3. And then last week we looked at the purpose of regeneration, which again is to truly worship God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And now what I want to do for the, over the next few weeks is look at what are the evidences that a person has truly been born again? What are the evidences of regeneration? So recognizing... Woo! That was cool. People listening on audio to this centuries from now we're going to wonder what happened um the lord intervened and then jason helped out so thanks brother um 
Where was I? So, uh, by the way, thank you for enduring the cold. I know it's a little breezy. Um, if you need a blanket, you can take Zeke's blanket uh, from under him, I'm sure. And I've got that. Oh, yeah. Thanks, brother. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, so, we'll make adjustments as we go. But thank you. It always reminds me, too, when, when facing even a little bit of adverse circumstances of that picture we got from uh, Frontline Missions from John Hutchison of the, the church in Russia. It was like 20 individuals. And uh, th- because at that time that photo was taken, uh, the Russian church, they were persecuted. And so they met in the snow out in the middle of a forest. We're not there yet. It's not snowing. There's a little bit of a breeze. Um, but I thank you for your endurance and just yeah, keep that in mind. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah. Um, I'd like to offer... If somebody gets really cold, I'll give you my jacket. I'm doing fine, I think. But um, great opportunity for us to snuggle together as families, too. So, um, Back to regeneration. Uh, what are the evidences of regeneration? If, if I, how do I know that if I, I've experienced this miracle of rebirth? Because it is a miracle. It's not just recognizing what is true. It's having our heart change to no longer live for ourselves, to worship ourselves in, in essence, to no longer be self-oriented in our thinking and our desires, but to be totally God-oriented. Well, how do you know if you've experienced that? What's the evidence? Well, the Bible Really, the whole New Testament, I think, you could argue, presents evidences of what it means to be a Christian, what it looks like to be born again. But there are, there are a number of texts that make direct connections between regeneration and its fruits. And so I want to look at a few of those. Um, and, and, and these themes are actually repeated in a number of texts. Um, but the ones that we will look at for our study are repentance, and that's what we'll do today, Holiness, submission, love, and hope in a future resurrection. And those themes are connected to regeneration in a number of books. It's not just in, in one text. And so we will, that's what we'll look at in the next few weeks. When we start with repentance, I, I think if you were to ask a, a stranger, just somebody in the street, what... Um, what repentance means, you're going to get a, a large variety of answers. Many believe it's what a person does in order to get rid of guilty feelings. They feel bad for something they've done, and repentance is no longer feeling bad for what they did. Others think that repentance means saying you're sorry. Uh, this is often what, what kids think repentance is. If I just Say I'm sorry, whether I feel it or not, I've repented. Or, or others, that it's confessing the sin that you've committed to somebody. Many would say it simply means to stop sinning. But it, that begs the question, well, for how long? A month? A year? If you commit that sin within the next five minutes, did, did you really repent? Others assume it entails making some sort of vow to change. I was taught uh, that it meant a change of direction, that you make a 180 degree turn. And that's true, but there's far more to repentance than just a 180 degree turn. 
as we'll see in the passage today. Here's the definition of repentance I want to give to you. True repentance is a return to fellowship with God made possible by His grace, which is manifested in a turning from all known patterns of sin to patterns of obedience in the whole man, including the thoughts, affections, actions, and words. So that's a lengthy definition, but I'll, I'll break it down real simply. Uh, repentance is relational. It's a restoration of our relationship with God. So it's not particularly, it's not really about the actions or the sins in particular. It's about being restored in our relationship with God. It's relational. Fundamentally, as you look at the, all the calls to repentance in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, they're all calls to return to God in fellowship with him. In other words, God doesn't just want you to do right things. He wants your heart. He wants a restored relationship. It is also total. So it's, it's repentance towards, because it's relational, it's a, it's a repentance in all of God's, according to what all of God has instructed. It's not just one sin, but it's all sin. And it's repentance because it's repentance to true worship. It affects the mind the affections, and the will. Just as we are called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, true repentance seeks to do that. True repentance, therefore, is not just actions. It's not just thinking. It's not just feeling. It's all of it. It incorporates all of the man. And so if we just repent in our mind or just repent in our actions, it's not real repentance. It's just superficial. And the only people we're fooling are ourselves. And Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 10, is one of the most important passages in the Bible, but it gets very little attention. And again, all the New Testament calls for repentance actually find their root in this chapter. This is, this is the mother of all calls to repentance in the Bible. And you could do a study of this, but if you were to look at the book of Acts and, and the sermons that were preached uh, by the apostles, they would be, you would see that their calls to repentance are actually drawing on what was revealed in Deuteronomy 30. All the calls of, to, of Israel to repent by the prophets in the book of Kings and 2 Chronicles and 1 Chronicles and uh, in all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they, all those calls to repentance find their root in this chapter. And so if you understand repentance in this chapter, all of a sudden, it opens up the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it gives a really good depiction of what we need to know regarding repentance. Here's the outline. Uh, first of all, uh, it speaks to the motivation of repentance in verse 1. The meaning of repentance in verse 2. The meed of repentance Verses 3 through 5, that, that the word meet, if you're not familiar with it, it means the, the, the wage, the recompense, the reward, the blessings of repentance. And the miracle for repentance, verse 6, and then verses 7 through 10 are a review of what's already been mentioned in the previous verses. Let's look at, first, the motivation for repentance.
I want to set the context first. In chapters 28 through 29, Moses had outlined the blessings and curses which would fall on the nation if they uh, obey, they continue to obey, they'll be blessed. And if they choose to not obey, and then they will be cursed. And following this list of curses, which would eventually afflict the unbelieving Israelites, God then promises that dis- even though there will be a pattern of unrepentance, eventually they will repent. And that's what's mentioned. That's what really De- Deuteronomy 30 is all about. And there are many different words uh, in the Old and New Testaments that convey this idea of repentance. Um, but there are two words uh, in the Old and in the New that are primarily used. In the New Testament, the Greek word is metanoia, which primarily suggests a change of mind, a change of thinking. Uh, it literally, an, it means afterthought or a, a Again, a change in how you understand sin. That's metanoia. The primary Hebrew word is shub, which uh, means to turn or to have a change in direction. And that's why repentance is often talked about as a change of mind or a change in direction. And interestingly, a metanoia became a synonym for the Hebrew word shub in the intertestamental period. So in the... Uh, Greek New, the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, the Hebrew word shub is often translated metanoia. And so they, they became interchangeable as well. And in these ten verses, seven times the Hebrew word for repentance, the root of it, shub, is used. Seven times in these ten verses. And also what's interesting is three times the word shema which means to hear or obey is used. And if you recall, the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 really conveys what it means to worship God. Let's look again at the, the motivation for repentance. Verse 1. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where Yahweh your God has banished you. That phrase, call them to mind, is actually the Hebrew word, Shub, return. Literally, uh, return to your heart is actually what it says in the Hebrew. So this verse indicates that two things will motivate Israel to repent. First of all, the experience of divine discipline. They will recognize that they are receiving the discipline of the Lord, based on Deuteronomy 29. And that's they, they come to that understanding because it's, been revealed to them through God's word. When all these things come upon you, in the midst of their misery, they would recognize why they're experiencing this. Well, it's be, They're experiencing exactly what God said they would experience because they have acted exactly how God told them not to act. And often people need to, to taste the consequences of their decision before they uh, realize uh, the foolishness of what they're doing before they're ready to listen. I mean, every parent experiences this uh, on, a, on a frequent basis. And this is a consistent pattern for Israel in the Old Testament. The Israelites would be in distress on account of their disobedience. God would allow them to taste the fruit of their folly. And then they would cry out to the Lord, and the Lord would send them a prophet, and the prophet would say, you need to repent. And if you repent, then 
you will be you can be restored to the Lord and he will remove this judgment from upon you and they would promise to repent and they would for a little while and then they'd fall back into their same pattern that was that is the whole story of the old testament continual falling back into sin and the instances of this pattern are so numerous i would bore you through the repetition but i could point out some t- some key texts that would be worth looking at leviticus 26 Numbers 14, Judges 10, 1 Samuel 12, 2 Kings 22, 2 Chronicles 15, Nehemiah 8 through 10. Uh, Speaking of Nehemiah, even after the whole nation of Israel repents, after the exile, and you guys recall that the exile was God's discipline of the nation. Eventually he had to kick them out of the land because they would not forsake their idols. And then he allows them to return after 70 years. After this national repentance under Nehemiah and Ezra, they, they promise that they're going to return to the Lord their God, and they do for a short time. Again, it's a short time because it was shortly after that, Jesus sent, or sorry, God sent the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and those people, the Israelites, rejected him. Instead, they said, we, we have no king but Caesar, and they called him to be crucified. They fell away. And so on account of their rejection of Jesus, God has turned to the Gentile nations. And they have been offered to uh, partake in the blessings that were promised to Israel. And so Israel has not yet fully received the promise. As we read in Romans 11, a remnant has. But this has largely been extended to the Gentile nations. But there will be a time when all Israel will receive what God promises here in Deuteronomy 30. As Paul explains in Romans 11, verse 25. They will receive this until when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. But Israel will not uh, receive the blessings of regeneration, which here in verse 6 is called the circumcised heart, until after all the Gentile nations hear it first. But then they will recognize that they, that they have been missing out, what was, that the Gentiles have received what was promised to them in Deuteronomy 30. And then there will be a national repentance. And so this text again notes two things God uses to motivate people to repent from their folly. Divine discipline and His Word. And this brings us to the meaning of repentance, which is essentially a return to worship. Look at uh, verse 2. It says, And you return, good, uh, the word shub again, to Yahweh your God, and obey, Shema, Him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. This verse in particular uh, presents all the fundamental aspects of repentance. And it begins with the relational aspect. Return to the Lord your God. Repentance, again, fundamentally is a return to your relationship with the Lord, a restoration of the relationship. Uh, It's not merely confessing sin. It's not just obedience or conformity to other people's expectations. It is a return to the relationship, to have a healthy relationship. If an adulterous husband uh, could stop sleeping with his mistress 
But if his heart was still in love with his mistress, you wouldn't say he's repentant. Or if he was, uh, he, he, he put away his mistress, but he didn't pursue restoring uh, that relationship with his wife that he had in his youth, you would say he's not repentant. Repentance is a, a f- complete restoration, wanting the relationship to be healthy again as it once was. God doesn't want just obedience. He wants your heart. As David said, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. These, O Lord, you will not despise. So one cannot truly repent unless they want the relationship. If they just want to be in good standing, they just want the blessings of the relationship, but they don't want the, the joy and the intimacy and the fellowship of the relationship, it's not repentance because it's about the relationship. It's not just about external expectations. If they just want to get rid of guilt or avoid punishment, it's not true repentance. Because again, repentance is a return to true worship. It's a return to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's relational. Secondly, it's behavioral. And obey. That is Shema, Him. True remittance leads to a change in behavior and actions. So it entails more than just feeling bad about what you've done. It's, and it's more than just desiring restoration of the relationship. So it's more than just feelings. It's more than just thinking. It takes action. Because if you truly think something's true, if you truly desire this restoration, you will take action. There's a reversal of sinful actions to pursuing obedient actions. So just grieving and saying, I'm sorry, is good. But if there's no genuine change in behavior, then it's not genuine. Repentance takes action. But it's also far more than just actions, as we've said. It needs to be from the heart, as the Bible says here, with all one's heart and soul. So it's relational, it's behavioral, it's also internal. We obey with all our heart, with all our soul. In other words, it's a return to true worship. And again, because we are called to worship God with all our heart, with all our soul, with our mind, our strength, referring to our will. Likewise, repentance affects every aspect of our being. And often when uh, people confess sin and express a desire to repent, a question they ask is, what do they need to do to show they are repentant? Well, I think that's a good question, but, it, but in a sense, it still misses the point. Because it's not so much about what you need to do, but how do you show that your relationship with God matters more than anything else? How can you show God that you want to be restored to Him? It's not about what you need to do, but what would you do? Again, God wants your heart. It's not about paying for your sin, penance. It's not about meeting other people's expectation. It's about restoring your relationship with Him. So it's relational, behavioral, internal. It's thirdly, or fourthly, it's mental. It affects our thinking. That's, that's highlighted in the Greek word metanoia. And it's also seen in in this passage in verse 1 in that it was remembering the truth about what God said 
about why they were experiencing what they were experiencing that leads Israel to repentance. So repentance is rooted in right thinking. Just like every sin is rooted in a lie. We sin because we believe something that's not true. We disagree with what God has said to be true. We choose not to trust him. Again, all sin goes back to the garden with that first lie. Satan told, asked Eve, did God really say? Causing her to question the validity of what God said. And this is why Romans 12, 1 and 2 emphasize the need to have a mind that's renewed. And why there's so many warnings about getting entangled with the thinking of this world. Because the world is under the power of the father of lies. It functions based upon lies. It thrives upon lies. And so the more that we are immersed in the media of this world, the more, the harder it is not to believe the lies. And therefore, the harder it is for us to mentally repent. So it's relational, behavioral, internal, mental. It's also total. Notice he says, according to all that I command you today. Again, because repentance is relational, it's about a relationship with God. Everything that God has commanded is uh, a, a, a repentant person wants to obey. It says, I don't want to be separated from you, God. I want harmony in the relationship and peace. Because it's relational, it holds nothing back. Whatever you have called me to do, God, I will do. It agrees to obey all that God has written. And really, any area of a person's life that they're unwilling to repent from is an idol. Let me just consider the story of the rich young ruler. Right? What did he say to Jesus? What started the whole conversation? What do I need to do to, to enter the kingdom of God? Oh, yeah, I've, I've obeyed all those commandments from my youth. And then Jesus points out just one. Well, you need to put away your money. I mean, one sin. We'll call it greed. The worship of money. Great. He, did, he, he obeyed all the law, but he didn't obey that one. In reality, he hadn't obeyed all the law. He fooled himself into thinking. But the same is true with many people. They can look at obedience to uh, many of God's commands, but then there, there's one command. Or there's two commands. Or there's a few commands. Uh, you know what? That doesn't apply to me. God's word doesn't apply to me in that area. I don't have to repent from that area. Or they say, well, I'm just, I'm just a greedy person. I'm just a lustful person. I'm just a proud person. I just don't love people. But to make such a declaration is to say, I don't want to worship that God, in essence. To refuse to repent from any sin is to say, I will not worship that God. I will worship myself. It's to reject Christ, just like the rich young ruler did. And I think it's helpful to recognize, too, the degree or the temperature of one's repentance really reflects the degree of their worship. So if you're cold in your repentance really indicates that you're cold in your worship. If you're lukewarm, Revelation 3, in your repentance, you're really lukewarm in your worship. Again, 
True repentance is relational, behavioral, internal. It affects the affections. It's mental. It's rooted in the thoughts. And it's total. It, it agrees to want to obey all of God's word. Why? Because, again, it's relational. It's not about what does my pastor want me to do. It's not about what does my wife want me to do. What do my friends at work want me to do. It's about God. And God knows your heart. He wants you. He wants you. The question is, do you want him? In verses 3 through 5, it demonstrates these blessings that will come to Israel on account of their repentance. The Lord your God will restore, that's shub, return you from captivity and have compassion return you, shub again. I will gather you again from all the peoples where Yahweh your God has scattered you. If, if you're outcasts or at the end of the earth, from there Yahweh your God will gather you and from there he'll bring you back. Yahweh your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. I mean here, the Lord's just saying, when I bring you back, I'm going to allow you to, re- to enjoy all the blessings that have always been promised in the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. And for those who repent in the New Testament, Gentiles, the blessings are too numerous to count. Consider just all the blessings that accompany salvation. Forgiveness of sins. Restoration to God. Eternal life and eternal inheritance. Sharing in the glory of God himself. Receiving a new heart, a new mind. Fellowship with the triune God. To be part of a member of his body, the church. There's just, the whole New Testament is, and the Old Testament is just filled with all the blessings that come with repentance. God wants to show us if you, if you turn from this lifestyle of death and decay and return to me, you will be fully blessed. In fact, Jesus' letters to the seven churches in, in uh, Revelation, in, in most of them, he has a call to repentance. Let me just mention some of the blessings he gives, he promises to those churches who will repent. To the church of Ephesus, he says, repentance will allow them to eat from the tree of life. Church of Pergamum, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the church of Thyatira, to those who repent, he says, I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when they are earthen pots broken in pieces, even as I myself has received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. To the church of Sardis, he says, those who repent will be clothed in white garments. And I will never blot their name out of the book of life. I will confess their name before my father and before his angels. To the church of Laodicea, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, referring to repentance, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Those are promises from the God of the universe. That's amazing. If you would just turn from your lifestyle of stupidity and death and, and return to me, I will give you blessings behind beyond all your wildest expectations. There is nothing that no 
corporate executive from any company in the world, be it Google or Intel or uh, Amazon, that could come anywhere close to the blessings that you could receive by just repenting from your sin. There are amazing blessings offered to us. And all these blessings just amplify what God has promised to Israel back in Deuteronomy 30. And of course, all of this, all these blessings come about because of God's work of grace. And that's the point of verse 6. The miracle for repentance. Because again, Israel, many times in their history, as we've already talked about, said they were going to repent. They were going to return to the Lord their God. And then shortly thereafter, they turned back to their idols. And the point is, is Israel can't repent. Not a single person can repent of their sin unless God first does a miracle in their heart. And so verse 6 is, this verse shouts the grace of God. Moreover, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, heart and soul so that you would live. And again, mentioned, uh, as I mentioned in previous messages, that phrase, circumcise your heart, that's the Old Testament way of speaking of regeneration. Deuteronomy 6.30 is what is prophesied later in Ezekiel 36. I will take from you from the nations and gather you from all the countries, right? We just read that. And bring you into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. As you recall from a couple of messages earlier, this is the same text that Jesus is referencing in his conversation with Nicodemus when he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. He's talking about Ezekiel 36, which goes back to Deuteronomy 30. If you want to enjoy all the promises and delights of the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Israel, you must be born again. And of course, that's the message that's given to the Gentiles too. You need to repent and believe the gospel. And so it's the circumcision of the heart that God promises, which is what enables Israel to repent, to truly love God with all their heart and soul. They can't just choose to love him. God needs to change their heart because they're born children of Adam that worship themselves. They need to be born again. So again, this, this verse shouts grace. God must initiate this. Which is also why any person who wants to come to him will no way be cast out. As Jesus says in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Why? Because if you want to come to Christ, if you want to truly be restored, if you want to repent from all your sin, you've experienced the miracle of regeneration. That's the evidence that you've experienced the miracle of regeneration because you want to repent. You say, there's not a single sin that I will not turn from. 
I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nobody would say that unless God had done a miracle in their heart. And if you have not, if that's not where you're at, you need to ask God to do a miracle in your heart. Because there's no amount of thinking, there's no amount of praying, there's no amount of acting, there's no amount of going to church that will change that. You need a miracle to be performed. Because you can't just choose to love somebody, something that you don't love. God needs to work a miracle. And the fact that God will bring about this repentance through regeneration is important because, again, throughout Israel's history, they repented, but only superficially. But here, they will do, they will repent for real when God gives them a circumcised heart. And verse 6 is the key verse in this text. Uh, and this is seen by the structure of the passage. If you were to uh, see it in the Hebrew, you, you can kind of see it in the English. Um, but it, uh, verse 6 is actually the middle of the passage. There's what's called an inclusio. And so verses 7 through 10 really just review what was said in verses 1 through 6. And verse 6 is the apex. You will receive all of these blessings is what it's communicating. You will receive... Uh, you will return to the Lord your God. You will repent. You will experience repentance on account of receiving a circumcised heart. And so in summary, again, true repentance, it's a return to true worship. It's not just stopping sinning. It's not just joining a church and uh, committing to be part of a ministry. Repentance is a return to truly worshiping God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. It's a change in relationship and behavior and affections and thinking. And so I would imagine that, that a, a sensitive soul at this point would probably be wondering, well, how do I know if I've experienced that? How do I know if I'm repentant? Because I still sin. Well, I think a, a, a fair, if you understand repentance rightly and that it's really about re restoration and relationship with God, a similar question could be asked. Well, how do you know if you really love your spouse? How do you know if you really love your kids? How do you know if you really love your parents? How do you know if you really want to be in a relationship with them? Well, you can look at the choices you make. Yeah, that's, that's good. You could also look at your thoughts. You could look at how you feel. It entails all those things. It's not one of them. It's the whole thing. How do you know if you want to be restored in your relationship with God? Well, look at every aspect of your being. How do you know what, that you love anything? Now, somebody could be ultra introspective and, and, and they'd conclude, well, I don't love God as perfectly as I want to. Does that mean I'm not repentant? Well, no, any more than... You don't love your wife like you want to. You don't love your kids. You're constantly needing to grow. And especially as Christians, we're constantly struggling in sin. The whole future of Christianity, from the time a person is born again to the time they die, is one of constant repentance. Martin Luther said that. I'll give you the exact quote here, if I have it. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He willed that the whole life of believers should be one of repentance. And so... Anybody here is going to recognize 
there's a lot of repentance that needs to take place. And I think that's true. I think, especially as Americans, we're lousy at repentance. We're good at changing behavior. We're maybe good at changing our thinking, but we're not very good at returning to truly worshiping him because we, we justify our sin far too easily and defend ourselves and make excuses. We're just not that good at repentance. And I think it's because we don't really understand it. So well, what does it look like practically to repent? I thought it might be helpful just to take a moment and spit, pick one sin. There's so many sins that we can look at, but I, I thought it'd be good to just break down how does repentance from the sin of anxiety uh, work. And the reason I picked anxiety is because it's an internal sin, but also because it's something probably all of us struggle with at some point in our life. Well, how do we repent in our thinking and in our affections and our behavior regarding anxiety? Let's start with thinking because it's, repentance starts in, in the mind. Metanoia, a change of mind, change of thinking. First of all, we need to identify anxiety as sin. The Lord has not given you a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. And you can look at other texts that, that speak of, do not be anxious, but with all things, make your requests known to God. Other verses we can look at. Identify it as sin. The world would say, oh, it's okay for you to be afraid. It's okay for you to doubt God in this situation. It's reasonable. Well, maybe reasonable, but it's still sin. So acknowledge it as sin. Also acknowledge the just consequences. If you've sinned, you also are admitting you deserve to be disciplined for that sin. And acknowledge it. God, I'm struggling with fear. It is sin. I recognize I deserve to be disciplined on account of my rebellion against you. Acknowledge it for what it is. And then identify the lie behind the sin. Why are you anxious? Do you believe that God has forsaken you? Do you believe that God is not trustworthy? Or is it something like you believe that you need to be in control? You need to, you need to see how God is going to work out this instance for good before you'll trust him. What is it in your thinking? What's the lie that's driving? There could be many different lies. But what is it in this instance? And we need to see that the, the, um, what's feeding this sort of thinking. What triggers this? Is it, what have you been feeding on mentally? Have you been getting the time and the word that's necessary? Are you, are you, listen, are you watching uh, movies that are not helpful in regard to fear or uh, radio shows or whatever it might be? What's feeding this sort of thought process? So that, look at your thinking, look at your affections. Identify the desire that leads to the sin. You're thinking, well, desire for fear. Well, maybe it's the desire to be in control. Or maybe behind this is, is this desire to be at peace. You think my peace, my exaltation, my ease is what matters most in life. I mean, think about the lack of fear in Jesus' life. Not that he didn't feel tempted by fear, but he did everything God commanded him to do. He didn't give in to his fears that he might have been tempted with. We need to see the self-worship in fear. The thought that what I want for my life is more important than what God has. That's really at the root of it. What I want versus what God wants. 
look at the behavior. What, what life transformation, what new patterns need to be developed to show repentance. I think here, something with, with anxiety, identify um, your responsibilities before God and do them. Because often when you're, we're struggling with fear, I just know this from personal experience, it's easy to get my, my mind caught up and to begin racing and then make excuses for not doing what God has told me to do. The, I, th- I think when it comes to repenting from fear, it's identify what has God told me to do and just set your mind to do that. Direct your behavior towards being faithful and don't turn to entertainment or drinking or hobbies or any other escape. But be faithful in what God has called you to do. If you're afraid that you're going to fail your test that's coming up in the next week, be faithful to study. Trust God with the outcome. Do what you need to do. Put off and put on, as it says in Colossians 3. And I think one thing you can put on is praise God for his trustworthiness, his protection, his faithfulness. Review scriptures that speak about God's character and why he's trustworthy in his sovereignty. So trust him and then act trusting him. Act as if you do trust him according to his promises. And apply this pattern of repentance not just towards fear, but towards complaining, towards lust, towards unjust anger, cruel words, discontentment. In fact, I'd encourage each of you to go home as a family and just pick a sin. could be one that somebody in the family is struggling with or maybe just more abstract sin and just diagnose it and dissect it like a professor in medical school. Get to the core of it and say, what's going on here? What thoughts might lead to this thin, sin in a person's life? What's going, what affections might fuel this sin? What changes in behavior would you expect to show that this person really wants to obey God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? And talk about it and learn to think this way about repentance towards sin so that as you face your different temptations with sin, it will become a new grid to know how you need to repent. Because if there's any lack of repentance in our lives, it's going to lead to discipline. Or it's going to lead from, to completely falling away from the Lord. And so we cannot take a lack of repentance lightly. We need to take it as with dead seriousness. I'd also encourage you every night as you go to bed, confess your sins and plead for grace to repent. Just get into a pattern of recognizing what are the sins in my life. And just acknowledge them before the Lord and ask for grace. And then the next thing, when you get up in the morning, whether it's in your quiet time or just as you're showering or getting ready for the day, um, ask God to help you fight the very same sins that you confessed the night before. Get into a pattern of recognizing the need to fully repent in every, every, every area of your life. And you're thinking, my goodness, that just seems oppressive. But it's not meant to be oppressive. It's because God has given you the Holy Spirit. He has circumcised your heart so that you can do this. This is the path towards freedom. This is the path towards joy. This is the path to being the Christian that God has caused you to be born again to be. This is what he's created you to live like. And I think often we, we 
we are under the discipline of God for much of our life because we fail to truly repent and we make excuses for our sins and people confront us and we blame other people. We blame our circumstances. I'm not getting enough sleep. And, and we think that we're repentant and we don't repent. And therefore God says, well, if you're not going to listen to me, then maybe you'll listen to my discipline. And he does that not to pick on us, but because he loves us. He wants us to be restored to him. And he will discipline us until we are. That's how loving he is. And so we need to grow in repentance. In true repentance. Again, the goal of this series, again, is to remember the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian. And I think one of the most fundamental aspects of being a Christian is we repent from our sin because we're created to truly worship God. And so if we're going to be the church God has called us to be, we need to recognize that true repentance means returning to God to worship Him in every area of our life with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And I think we also need to remember, again, the degree or the temperature to which we repent really reflects the degree of our worship of God. The degree to which we repent from our sin demonstrates the degree of our worship of God. Let's pray. Lord, we all acknowledge we are terrible at repentance. And and it would be very easy for us to make excuses because we've never been trained well. We've, in our churches, we've, we've, we live in a culture that fails to repent. Lord, we could blame our flesh. But Father, we acknowledge that, Lord, we, we struggle to repent because we still struggle to worship ourselves. And we have no excuse because you've caused us to be born again. And Lord, even the, for those that have not yet been born again, they still choose to worship themselves rather than to worship you. And Lord, if there's anyone here that is in that place, that you would help them to see their desperate need for you. And that they would cry out to you in humility for you to change their heart so that they might experience all the blessings that you promise here in Deuteronomy 30 and throughout the rest of Scripture. And Lord, help all of us whom you have caused to be born again. Lord, that we would experience the, all the blessings that you've uh, regenerated us to experience. Help us to be the people you've called us to be, so that we'd be the church that you've called us to be. And so that when we share the gospel with others, we would be in a place to equip them to be all that you call them to be. Lord, we need your grace for all of these things from beginning to end. And so we pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen.